the more you're worried and the more anxious you are, the higher your cortisol levels go up in your body and the harder it is for your body to fight something off. Hey, welcome to the Current Mood Podcast. This is your host, Jacqueline Marie. Current Mood is a series exploring self-care techniques, mental models, and core patterns propelling our increasingly digital lives. Through conversations with founders, entrepreneurs, educators, and executives across creative disciplines, I get a chance to learn about things that work for people in their everyday lives. In this conversation, I got the chance to talk to Rachel Chua. Rachel is a physician's assistant based in New York City. She's also an incredible human and a DJ. Amazing. I wanted to get her perspective as a healthcare professional as she's really, you know, she's been working in both the ICU and the ER during this pandemic in the epicenter in New York City. Rachel's really, really good at making complex medical topics accessible to everyone. So I I really appreciate her perspective. We talk about Everything from prioritizing your mental health when you're actually a caretaker to how to properly don and doff your mask, which you will learn the definitions of. Uh, We also talk about the importance of finding support groups as a form of self-care and why water really is life. Hope you enjoy. Yeah, so (laughs) let's let's get into it. Um, Can you introduce yourself to the people? Sure. Uh, my name is government name, Rachel Chua. Uh, soon to be Rachel DeMaio. Whoa, that sounds weird. Whoa. Uh, <laughs> uh, AKA Righteous on uh, the DJ tip. How did you make your way from San Diego to New York? Um, so actually, I I'm originally from like LA suburbs. Oh, and okay. Yeah, I know. I bet you didn't know that. Did about not know me. that. Six, you know, six four nine San Diego all the time. Yeah, I'm actually originally eight oh five. Shout out Ventura County. Okay. Uh, and then I moved to SD for undergrad at uh, SDSU, and then I mm. met yeah, like Hilla DJs through that community, and then. Uh, I came to New York in 2015 for PA school, for grad school, actually. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Learning so Mm -hmm. much about you. I know. (laughs) You thought you knew me. I thought I did. Um, So you originally studied biology, right? That was your... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was a bio major in undergrad, sort of like on the pre-med route, Um, and then... uh, you know, I thought that I wanted to go to medical school and be a, an MD. Mm-hmm. Um, but after I graduated, I worked at a few doctor's offices and just realized that that the lifestyle wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a lot of doctors that knew me just recommended this career path of being a physician assistant. And I'd never heard of the, the profession before. Yeah. Um, it's relatively new. It kind of came about in the 1970s. Okay. Uh, so a lot of people don't actually know what a PA is. They think I'm like a production <laughs> assistant or something, or like wow. I work like on sets, but medical production. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, but 
yeah. So then I sort of took a slight turn, not too much of a turn, and went to uh, PA school and got in a program here in New York mm-hmm. for 2015. What is a PA? What's a physician's assistant? Uh, so a PA is uh, a licensed healthcare provider. Mm-hmm. Um, similar to the level of care that a nurse practitioner uh, operates at, but we're trained sort of alongside medical students. Um, oh, okay. And we're trained sort of on this like diagnostic pathway. Okay. Um, and we're considered APPs, like advanced practice providers or oh. mid-level providers. But essentially what we can do is we can diagnose, we can treat, uh, provide therapies, we can operate. Oh, wow. Uh, and it's all done under the license of an MD. So, yeah, PAs can definitely, there's a, a very, there's a huge spectrum of how we can operate within our career. And mm-hmm. um, that's what I really liked about it. So, yeah. I like, that. me up. So, from DJ to PA. <laughs> but we're still also a DJ, which is so cool. I want I wanted to talk to you and get you on the show to really dig in to like your experiences on the front lines of all of the things that are happening in the medical community right now and just kind of you're you're so good at like explaining or kind of making things like I guess accessible on the way that you talk about them and full disclosure guys anything that we talk about here is like obviously not medical advice um (laughs) uh, it's just more we're yeah (laughs) we're sharing experiences and you know none of this stuff should be taken as uh, medical advice Uh, but we just wanted to share experiences here and, and to help inform people and to just give new perspective um from the healthcare side i kind of wanted to to just get right into how has your work changed from you know february or march through now have you i know that you shifted a bit you know your your focus and to like going into you know, the er and things like that like what can you tell us about the journey what's been like yeah um so you know as of earlier this year i was going uh into close to into my fifth year of being a pa and since um, the start of my career, I've always been in surgery. I've covered many different types of surgery, um, like general surgery, plastics, um, colorectal was one of them. Hey, uh, hey hi guys. Hey, we're human. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we're all the same yeah. inside. Uh, and uh, neurosurgery. Mm. And then midway through my experience so far, I transitioned to just covering neurosurgery, Mm -hmm. uh, which is where I'm currently at. Um, What is neurosurgery? So neurosurgery covers covers the parts of the body related to the brain Mm -hmm. and the spine and spinal cord. Um, We also do like a bit of, you know, peripheral nerves, which includes the nerves like in our limbs, but Mm -hmm. not too much of it. Mm. Um, Where I've switched around in the past two and a half years to a couple of different roles within neurosurgery. Mm-hmm. Um, I've worked inpatient just in the operating room. I've worked outpatient in the office where I'm seeing patients with my surgeon, mm-hmm. um, just on an outpatient scale. And currently I work in neurotrauma, which includes, um, 
I work in a hospital in the Upper West Side, uh, and we specialize in patients who have injuries um, in the brain or in the head and in the spine Mm. um, related to trauma. So there's a lot of like, you know, motor vehicle accident victims or or fall victims Mm -hmm. or assaults, gunshot wounds, things like that. Wow. Um, and it has been definitely, um, you know, an intense experience just in that specialty alone outside of a pandemic. Sure. Yeah, (laughs) of course. Uh, it's something that I love to do. There's a thrill in it. There's also this deep, you know, like feeling of it's, it's intensely gratifying to be able to help someone um, who's almost at their most vulnerable moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and come March, you know, like New York really wasn't taking things seriously. Sure. Uh, even, even in my, in my mindset, like I definitely vibe off of, um, my surrounding healthcare colleagues. And I felt like, you know, as Corona was approaching the U S no one was really, you know, setting off the alarm bells. So even from, January into uh, February and into March, we were just like twiddling our thumbs doing, you know, like our usual days. And then it just hit like a fucking brick wall. And we went into just like all hands on deck, like sirens blaring. Everyone's like, you know, we had just like tons of emergency meetings on how we're going to restructure our entire department. Mm. And when I talk about my department, my neurosurgery department, it relates to all of the affiliated hospitals within our larger healthcare system. Right. That's like, you know, like I think four, four or five main campuses and then some satellite ones, um, like in Brooklyn and Queens. So we're sort of wow. trying to remobilize um, all of our practitioners, and that includes that includes our neurosurgery providers, so MDs, um, PAs, and NPs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and w- many of us were deployed, and I've never heard that word <laughs> used before, like outside of wartime. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it was really insane to like to hear that being applied to us, right? Um, and it's applicable. Like when I kind of think back on it, you know, like every day, every day in medicine, there's you know, in a way, we're all kind of like fighting mini wars. Like we're helping someone fight a war that's within their body. If someone falls and has a bleed in their head, we're fighting. We're helping them fight against that bleed. You know like causing something devastating to their body. Mm-hmm. Um, but that bleed cannot cause a bleed in my brain. Right. You know, right. so it's right. not, it's not, it's not something that we call like a communicable disease. It can't transfer to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we had to switch to this mindset of being in this huge war, um, this global war that was just, you know, it was like a torrential downpour. And on top of that, it was something that could make us sick too. Right. So there were all of these factors that we had to consider. Um, you know, it, it definitely felt like 
like we were being deployed to the front lines of a war where we where guns were pointed right back at us. Right. What what would you say is like the tipping point of all this starting? I mean, it's it's um it's May now. It's still happening. It's the end of May. What's today? May 29th. Um Mm-hmm. Thanks. I'm like, what? <laughs> um, Where are we? Yeah, I know. What would you say was like the tipping point for you when you're like, oh shit, this is real? Like, did something happen where like you were just like, oh my god, this is what is going on? You know what? Okay, <laughs> you know what actually, what actually happened for me? What my personal tipping point was mm-hmm. was when. Um, was when so so my fiance and I had a trip to Barcelona planned <laughs> for for May. It was like supposed to be this past early May. Mm-hmm. And uh back in March when like when Spain was getting hit really, really hard. Yeah. My mom called me and she was like, Rach, I don't think that you should go to to Spain like in two months. I, I don't think that's a good idea. Yeah. And I always kind of like, mom, okay. Like, you know, she's always worrying every single, <laughs> uh, everything that happens in the world. Like, oh my God, someone in this random park got mugged. You my know, mom too. I thought it was just my yeah. mom. It's just a mom thing. <laughs> it's definitely a mom thing, you know? So I definitely like, sorry, mom, but I definitely downplayed her, her warning signal. And I was like, you know what, mom, if and when the time happens where I have to cancel tickets, then I'll cancel it. And later that night, I like was just kind of looking up news updates and um, and even airline updates. And mm-hmm. they're like, they're like, yeah, your the flight has been canceled due to the the pandemic. And I was like, oh shit, this <laughs> is like happening. So my yeah. personal alarm happened when like plane tickets. And like entire countries were closing down from, you know, even the money making, you know, travel industry. Yeah. Uh, and soon after, that was sort of when, you know, our department was getting called on to deploy us. Right. So when you got deployed, so to speak, um, well, I mean, literally to speak, um, you mm-hmm. went from working neurosurgery to working in uh into an ER for COVID patients or what, what was the shift for your workflow? Um, well, different, uh, different colleagues went into different things. Mm-hmm. Um, my actual neurotrauma team mm-hmm. is only made up of physician assistants. Mm-hmm. Um, and typically in like a, nor- in a, a usual hospital, um, there are like resident doctors mm-hmm. and, you know, like other staff that can usually help. But for us, it's only PA run. So, um, and like neurotrauma waits for no one, you know, right. like we can't stop people from just having brain bleeds and stuff. Right, right, right. So luckily, um, my team, which is a team of about six PAs, none of us got deployed where we were pulled away from our normal role. Mm-hmm. Um, we had to stay within our role, but... Uh, we were also asked to pick up, you know, voluntary shifts oh, wow. uh, that were needed within COVID units. So every COVID shift that I've, that me personally, I've worked has been something voluntary out of my time outside of my normal neurotrauma coverage. So I was doing Whoa. my full time job plus COVID shifts. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that so you were <laughs> yeah. like been working double shifts to save people's lives. Sorry. I mean, um, yeah. Uh huh. Uh, that's, uh, 
And it's been, um, it's been in different parts of the COVID front. Um, okay. First shift was in late March and it was in the emergency room at my hospital. Okay. Um, sort of in this overflow part of the, of the ER where they sent like COVID suspects. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, patients who were like fever, cough, cold, like let's, you know, rule out COVID. Right. Yeah. But it was, a very low suspicion. It was mostly patients who, um, who were scared that they had COVID. Mm. Uh, what was the timeline? Very mild symptoms. Um, like, timeline of like their symptoms or like what? What around what date was this? Where people were coming into the ER, they were just scared, not that they were, were full on like symptom heavy. Um, I think this was like the third and fourth week of March. Okay. Yeah. yeah, because then, like after that, I think people were just like, "Yeah, if you have these symptoms, you probably have COVID." <laughs> yeah, exactly, and that is, and that's pretty much what my role was, um, mm-hmm. because at that time we didn't have a lot of testing kits available to us. Right. I mean, they, even when I was requesting a test, I couldn't, I wasn't able to get myself tested, and I'm constantly seeing, you know, positive and suspected COVID patients. Right. Um, so to just test someone out of the sake of their curiosity was not going to help anyone. Right. And most of what I had to do was a lot of patient education. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because a lot of these patients are very scared and they have not only for themselves, but for their family members, they may have, um, elderly family members at home or children. And at the time we didn't know if children were Mm -hmm. affected by it, um, it was definitely a weird experience because we had the way that we set up the, this particular part of the ER is that we had these sort of like contact isolation rooms. Mm. Um, so it wasn't like a curtain. It was like an actual room with a door and a window. And then we set up video iPads in the room. Mm-hmm. And then I would be standing outside of the room um, initiating contact through video chat. So I'd video chat with them and get their history through that way. Mm. And then I gown up with PPE with like full on, full on, <laughs> like going to war. I mean, yeah. Like going to war. And then I would, uh, head in there to do a very brief, like physical exam. Um, check their lungs, see what, you know, how much in distress they are and, Mm -hmm. and then go into just patient education. And for the most part, I told patients like, Hey, you have mild symptoms right now. The best thing to do is to assume and act like you have COVID, Yeah, you know, yeah, because even if you do right now, it's not going to change the treatment. Like you're, you're not, you don't need to go to the hospital. You don't need extra oxygen. You need to go home and rest and take care of yourself. And if, if at any point it gets to the, you know, uh, too much to bear, or you can't breathe, or you have shortness of breath, blah, blah, blah. We've heard all of those symptoms mm-hmm. and then sound the alarms and come in. So it was almost like I felt like a goalie, you know, mm-hmm. for the hospital. Um, and not because we didn't want to take care of people, but it's because hospital is a place where you needed to go if you were really sick right. because if you didn't have COVID yet, then the hospital is a great place to get it. <laughs> Dude, know? crazy, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, so I felt like there, it took a, a few weeks for the public to really get, to really kind of calm the nerves. And as, 
and as a whole really um, understand that because in April, like our ERs were almost like a ghost town. Really? There were some days where it actually was like a ghost town. Yeah. Interesting. Um, Which was, you know, that definitely had its good and bad um, aspects because, um, you know, if you really had something going on that required medical attention, then some patients weren't coming in. So it's this, it's such a difficult balance, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was my first COVID shift. And then after that, that was all I, one shift. Okay. That's like the ER side, you know, like the different, so ER is when you first come into the hospital and then say if you were a COVID patient, you yeah. first come into the hospital, you come in through the ED, we check you out, we do an x-ray, blah, blah, blah. And we're like, oh yeah, you got to you gotta come upstairs. We're going to admit you to the floor. Mm-hmm. If you know, we feel like it's moderate or we're going to admit you to the ICU where it's intense, the intensive care unit. How many people would you say you actually admitted beyond the like triage and then like the chest x-ray? Like um, what percentage? Well, were I... Where I worked at in those shifts, those were like low suspicion, very mild symptoms. So none of mine got admitted. Oh, wow. Most of them was just patient education. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, in the other parts of the ER, there's definitely people like even laying eyes on them were like, all right, this guy's got to get admitted. Wow. Um, and the rest of the shifts that I work were in the ICU, the COVID ICU. Oh, my God. So that's like on the whole other spectrum. Yeah. It's like such a huge spectrum of how to care for these patients. Mm-hmm. Um, and in ICUs, it's where it's, you know, by name, very intense. Right, um, right. Uh, it's, you know, the, sh- the times that I was working there, it was, um, it was during the peaks where, you know, we were filled up to the brim to the point where we had to double up patients in rooms. Oh, my gosh. And, um, and you know, it's, it's in, it's in for someone who like only does neurosurgery, uh, and I'm like in the world of like the brain and the spine and never the lungs Mm -hmm. and, you know, never the heart. Mm -hmm. It was so intimidating because it's just not my specialty at all. Like, I don't know, you know, sure. Like in PA school, we know like the general practices of how to manage something. Yeah. Um, but how to manage a ventilator, like right. a patient who is hooked up to a machine that breathes for them. And you have to be able to kind of troubleshoot how to operate this machine. You know, luckily it's like, I'm never alone. Obviously there's intensivists who, who do this and are constantly guiding you. But, you know, I had to sort of go to PA school all over again. Mm-hmm. I had to study, um, critical care, uh, management, um, for, you know, like a few days and a few weeks and still mm-hmm. constantly I'm just kind of like trying to brush up on things. Um, because otherwise then it's like, you know, I'm, I'm going to be of no use. I might as well not even be there, you know? Yeah. So how would you say that you were mentally prepared for what you came up against in the ICU? I, um, I just blast death metal in my headphones. <laughs> For real? No, I'm oh, kidding. That's like sick. <laughs> rage. No, um, 
You know, I think from the beginning, like from as this thing was like approaching us in the distance, like rapidly running towards us, mm-hmm. I kind of felt like, um, you know, you had to have two types of mentalities as a healthcare provider facing this pandemic. Mm-hmm. You either had to feel like, you know, you're um, being thrown into the trenches uh, against your will and you have no choice and, you know, you feel helpless because you're not given adequate PPE and you yeah. don't, you know, you just feel like you're being sacrificed. Like you're a sacred, you're, you know, you're a sacrificial lamb. Like what were some of the conversations going on? Like in, in the hospital where you guys just like, Oh my God, we have to go find our own PPE. Well, you know, it was, it was 50, 50. So it's either you had that mindset or you had the mindset of, like, this is the calling, this is the need, and we are the people who can help. Wow. You know, like, I can't call, I can't call on, like, a carpenter to come in, even though they're, they might be more than willing to help because there is a need, it's because of the skill set. So right. you, so you either um, felt, you know, that you were being sacrificed, or you felt like, this is the challenge at hand, and what we're going to do is has, you know, a sense of nobility behind it because mm-hmm. we're able, we have the capability to help. Mm-hmm. So let's do this and do it as, as safe as we can, um, with as much protection as we can to protect ourselves. There was a point when we felt like, you know, PPE was starting to deplete. So, um, our, our chief PA who is awesome. She's, she's like my PA guru. <laughs> He helped organize sort of how we all uh, were deployed and, and, you know, just the logistics of, of managing the crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, she just reached out to the public and was like, this is what we need. If you can help us send this, send this, send this. And people responded. I saw all these pictures on the Instagram. I was like, oh my gosh, everyone's coming through. <laughs> yeah, people came through. And, you know, it was definitely a success story for us. Um, mm-hmm. And it was really heartfelt, you know, that the community was supporting us. Um, but, you know, we recognize that not every department, not every hospital has that type of resource and outreach right. and isn't as fortunate as us. Right, 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 right. right. Um, yeah. So this is like, this is my experience. You know, I yeah. definitely feel within the realm of things that I was, I feel, I felt fortunate. Um, yeah. So I felt like I had the the mentality of, you know, I have the support from my colleagues and my chief PAs and, um, you know, the, the attending doctors and surgeons that I work with. And so we were definitely in it together. Mm-hmm. And there was this camaraderie that I felt helped the morale, mm. um, which was, you know, which, you know, which helped us kind of get through it from a mental health perspective yeah. and just feeling prepared. So death metal and a support system. but just to really I mean this goes for not only healthcare professionals but just anyone who's like in service to others um which obviously healthcare professionals are in that boat right now and always but specifically now like how do you you know buckle your seatbelt so to speak before you can help others um you know I think that's sort of that's sort of just like the main role of being a healthcare provider. Mm. Um, it's, you know, and it's, it's amplified during, 
the COVID um, pandemic, but it's something that I've had just like grounds in throughout my career Mm. because most of what we do aside from diagnosing and treating is like coaching someone, Mm. you know, coaching them in something that they have no clue about. Um, The thing that I find so fascinating about healthcare is that, and medicine specifically, um, is that it pertains to our bodies and we all fucking have a body. (laughs) We all have that in common, right? Right. But like not all of us knows about this thing that we have and not not that we, not saying that we take it for granted, but Mm -hmm. I feel super lucky that like, I know I know something about that thing in your head, Mm. in your skull, Mm -hmm. you know, like, like I know things about that. Um, and if there's anything that I can do to help you understand it better, Mm -hmm. then that's what I want to do. And that's why I feel like I love, I love talking to my patients. Um, I like just coaching them and educating them because once that's, once I can like help them understand something more about their body and how to take care of it Mm -hmm. and, understand what is happening mm-hmm. and they can make better decisions as a patient. They're like, right. they become an informed patient and they have, they have like, um, you know, it's their body. They have every right to, to decide to do whatever they do to it, but it, it's, it should be informed. You know, it shouldn't be just by some blind decision. Yeah. Um, so I feel like that sort of spilled over into the COVID pandemic and managing, helping someone manage, um, their own anxieties about the symptoms they're experiencing is just educating about what's happening in their body. Boy, do I know about anxieties? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, I'm just going to share with, with some of the folks here. I haven't talked at all really about being sick, but I'm much better now. It's been two months almost or more than two months, but, um, just, I just want to bring this up because it's been um, a really challenging time for me. I mean, for everyone, is a global pandemic happening? Like everyone's, you know, losing their job. People are dying. We don't no idea what's going on in the future. Our government is like imploding right now. There's like people setting Minnesota on fire for good cause. Yeah. Um, right. You know, Seriously. like there's just so many things that are in transition in motion and that causes a lot of anxiety. We're used to structure. We're used to like having things where they are and like knowing that they're going to be there the next day. And um, I don't know, it's just a huge upheaval, which is honestly, I believe pretty necessary right now, considering what the fuck is being exposed all around across the board. Um, Yeah. But just to kind of come back to the COVID stuff, because that's what we're talking about, um, and just health in general, I, I, I've had like health anxiety for a really long time. Um, my mom got really sick when I was in high school, um, and she got like a after a surgery, she got like a staph infection, and she almost died. It was really gnarly, and it, it really took me like the like I got so scared for that time that when it came to my health as like a teenager and beyond, I've just started becoming very much like paranoid about everything that I was just every symptom or anything that happened in my body. I was like, Oh my God, what's wrong with me? Like very hypochondriac. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I'd be diagnosed textbook, but I definitely have had a lot of health anxiety and I haven't really talked about it ever. Um, but just, I feel like a, a lot of people have that. 
Um, and during the time I started doing so many Google searches about, there's so much talk about stress and anxiety, but there's not a lot of talk about health anxiety. Um, but it's a very common thing. I found out. I found a bunch of podcasts about it that were very helpful. <laughs> I found a bunch of like threads and just like support groups. Um, but being sick with the pandemic virus that you're hiding from in your house, uh, like being sick with that thing you're hiding from while it's happening outside, like it's just this really weird, yeah. it's like a really weird place to be. Um, yeah. And sorry, I'm going off on a tangent a little bit. Oh, please. But like, relevant. Relevant. Um, relevant, for sure. But I really just want to touch on how how um, severe the COVID uh, like virus really is. Um, and it's not talked about a lot. A lot of the, you know, conventional wisdom or even what's on the CDC website and all these things are like, oh, you know, it's two weeks. It's like a flu. And maybe more things have come out now. Um, since it, there's been, you know, an opportunity to actually follow people who have recovered, um, who are still recovering. But I, I have experienced, uh, the after effects of the illness for over two months. Um, like they came in waves, relapses, or as Rachel taught me, sequelae, which is like <laughs> basically a sequel. But anyway, it's a sequel, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to get too, too much into it, but I just do want to share that while everything's going on, um, you know, there's a lot of anxiety going on. There's health anxiety for a lot of people, myself included. And I think like figuring out ways that we can deal or cope at this time are so helpful and so important. And um, really the the way that I have recovered, I feel like has been through um, just like daily practice and really being educated and learning more about what's going on in my body. Um, and I think, you know, we grow up so much in like Western medicine, not knowing about our bodies and how they function and what does what, and what even down to nutrition and what's good for you and what causes inflammation. And like, and inflammation is like a huge part of this this sickness and most sicknesses i believe <laughs> it's like inflammation yeah. is like the number one cause it is yeah, pretty much um so i say all of that to say that whatever you're feeling right now is totally valid uh for me i've had a lot of health anxiety it's getting better um and i wanted to just kind of bring it back and ask you like how how what's the conversation that we should be having with our bodies or our minds or both at the same time around our health and well-being like during a pandemic like what would you tell patients um you know when it comes to like the steps of of um your health there's prevention there's preventative measures um and the biggest preventative measure is your diet you know, and this is definitely going to sound like, you know, a soapbox for like, oh, eat healthy, but like, <laughs> on the real, just fucking eat healthy. Like, <laughs> just take care of yourself, you know, like drink a shit ton of water because uh, something that, uh, that it's like, you know, we always have these like little things in medicine to help us remember. But the one of my favorite ones is the solution to pollution is dilution. <laughs> Girl, that's so <laughs> 
Um, and we use that a lot, like when we're in surgery, washing out like a, you know, an infection or an abscess or whatever, but that applies to the body when there is, um, when there is an illness, whether it's bacterial or viral or just like a, you know, clogging up of toxins, just mm. flushing out with some good old water. So that um, works. Water works. Oh, so water works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the cure. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But, you know, it's definitely being in tune with what you're feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and and if, there is, if there's a symptom that you're having in your body and you feel like it's truly that symptom, like that, like something is going on that's very unusual, um, first thing you should do is try, try to not panic about it mm. and try to think about the process of what's going on. Um, that's something that like my dad always taught. He's such a mechanical person that mm-hmm. he always wanted me to think about like understanding the process mm-hmm. so that you understand the result. You understand like where what it's where it's at now and you'll know how to how to move forward with it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't right. know what's happening with it, then you know, ask someone. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want this to be like a call for everyone to become Google doctors. Right, 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 right. Searching up your symptoms is one of the biggest anxiety causing things that you can do. (laughs) That's what Google Um, says. I've looked. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I call them Google doctors for sure. <laughs> Literally the worst um, thing you can do. And it's funny yeah. when you have the most anxiety is when you want to Google the most. You want to answer it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but just kind of, you know, like take a step back and think about it. Um, yeah. You know, if it's just like a pain in your leg, like see if resting it or icing it or, you know, whatever it was, think, maybe something like that helps. So it's like mm-hmm. if there's a, if there is a current symptom or illness current and we're past the level of prevention, mm-hmm. um, then listen to, listen to your symptoms. Um, if you want to, you know, at least mask or absolve the symptoms, then you can take something to make yourself more comfortable. But at that point, it's like, what's going to help get that better? Most of the time it's like, rest or medication or more water or like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or like taking, uh, you know, like taking supplements or mm-hmm. obviously if it's like something severe, definitely talk to your doctor about it. Right. Um, um, but like, think about your healthcare in this systematic approach. Right. Right. Um, because worrying about it is, and that, and if that's the only thing that you're doing, that's just going to add on more problems and worry it like it actually has a physiologic um, effect on our bodies. The more you're worried and the more anxious you are, the higher your cortisol levels go up in your body, and the harder it is for your body to fight something off. It actually has this an effect on how you can, um, you know, fight something off. Does it cause more inflammation when your cortisol levels go up? Um, or like what's really. happening when your cortisol levels go up? Cause you hear that a lot, like stress causes X, Y, Z. It's harder. For, it, it breaks your immune system down. It makes it harder for you to fight things off. Like what exactly, it is, what yeah. exactly is so, happening? So when it comes to the immune system, I mean, I'm definitely not an expert in immunology. And even then I'm not even, I'm not an expert in neurosurgery. <laughs> I'm just like, this is my experience. Yeah. Guys. Yeah. 
Um, but from at least what my understanding is, is that in the realm of infection, whenever cortisol is a steroid, it's our body's version of a steroid. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the setting of an infection, cortisol suppresses our immune system. Mm. So, um, you know, if someone is on chronic steroids for something like, you know, if someone who ha- has like severe asthma sometimes has to take steroids mm-hmm, like an early every day. Oh. Yeah, that, that automatically puts them in an immunocompromised position, right. meaning that their immune system is just, you know, co- like is always having to take a step back because it's suppressed by this steroid that's being taken. Mm -hmm. So if our steroid, if our um, internal steroid level is constantly elevated because of constant, um, you know, internal factors like worrying and anxiety, um, then in a sense that also can affect how we heal and how our immune system can heal from something. Mm -hmm. Um, At least that's my understanding of it. Yeah. You know, and it's definitely not, it, it, probably is not on the level of someone taking actual steroids for uh, a medical condition, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, it doesn't help the body physiologically and it doesn't help the mind and it certainly doesn't help the soul. So stop stressing <laughs> out. Well, stop it. Stop it. Just, yeah, it's so easy <laughs> to be like, stop stressing out. But like, what do you do? What do you do? How do you like, how do you stay balanced? What's, what's, uh, what's the go-to? Um, my go-to is, uh, this, this was sort of a practice that I had, um, I think it started sometime last year, but I didn't really like keep up with it every time. But, uh, since the pandemic started, it's like clockwork. I have to do this every time I get home. Um, but, uh, the reason why it's much more prominent now during the pandemic, uh, is, because when I walk into, when I go home from the hospital, I just imagine that I'm like covered in COVID glitter, <laughs> like COVID sprinkles, you know, even though I'm probably not, but let's, if you imagine it that way, then you'll be much more careful. Yeah. So once I step in my apartment, I pretty much strip down. Yep. <laughs> um, and like at I the door, have- you just have like a hamper. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Or I just like ball everything You're into like, like a big sock. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I head straight to the shower mm-hmm. and, um, what I have been doing is I've been showering under candlelight only. Like Ooh. I turn off the harsh lights of my bathroom yeah, and I shower in only candlelight. And I like my curtain, my shower curtain is like, you know, like obviously the two layer one mm-hmm. where the, the inside one is clear and the outside one is cloth. So I just like flip up the cloth one so that it just feels like this big window. Wow. Um, I'll be right back. I'm going to take a shower, guys. Yeah, BRB, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Vibes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, it, you know, but it's just so, I just realized that taking showers under candlelight is just this, it was so decompressing to me. Totally. Um, and it just kind of felt like, you know, this ritual, like I'm washing off the the stress and the, um the worries of the day and the COVID of the day. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, um, and I'm totally decompressing and I take, um, you know, I'm not the best with, with conserving hot water when I'm in a shower. <laughs> I just like, I need it. I just got to take like a 15 minute 
minute hot ass shower where it's like scalding hot yeah, and you're burning. Like, Burn me. And I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I something you said just made me I'm curious, you know, washing off the COVID of the day, like it's a it's kind of a funny joke, but like I mean, for someone who has health anxiety, that brings me so much fear. Like how were you, how are you scared going to work? Like, do you feel like you're going to get sick? Like, what is the, like, how are you feeling about, you know, the actual being so close to it all the time? Is, is it like the risk of it? Yeah. I mean, yeah, maybe you're mitigating it more of as a risk, you know, in different terms. But for me, I'm like, oh my God, COVID, ugh. like, yeah. <laughs> I don't even want to go near it. <laughs> Um, but you were working around it for hour, you know, several hour shifts, you know, multiple times yeah. a week. So um, how are you thinking? You know, there was, there was a point when I became, in a way I became desensitized to the fear of it. Okay. Um, in the beginning, all I did was like, you know, constantly practice hand hygiene and which is good, which is what we should be doing. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, guys. Um, but I, I think that, you know, out of, out of the, um, the habits developed in being, in being safe, Mm -hmm. um, you know, our, um, our hospital was really good about, um, you know, educating everyone on also, we call it donning and doffing PPE, which means like putting on gearing up and then like taking everything off without like contaminating yourself in the process of taking it off. Oh, wow. Um, and, and that helps sort of ease the fear. If you, if you feel like, you know, you're doing everything in your power that you can control to minimize the risk, it's all about like minimizing the risk, Mm. wearing your mask properly, making sure that your N95 is as fitted as it can be. Mm. Uh, you know, we're all working within like this, limited, you know, like resource. So I just felt like as long as I knew I was doing my best, then I felt better about it. Right. Um, and sure, that doesn't mean that, uh, I was absolutely optimal, but who fucking is, you know, like it's all we're doing here is just trying our fucking best. (laughs) And that's, that's all that we can really, uh, help ourselves with. And, you know, I felt like uh, once I kind of got into the groove of things and donning and doffing PPE was like, you know, was like second nature. Um, obviously, could never it never should be taken for granted, but at least, you know, you're not like stumbling and fumbling over things. Um, it just felt easier. And what was also reassuring to me um, is that I just, you know, I felt luckily, uh, I felt fine. Like I was in tune with my body. I felt like I was taking care of myself enough. And when I felt like I was pushing myself too much, then I would take a step back and like, you know, take a day off. Or yeah. Something. Yeah. Oh, listening to your body. That's a good idea. What is the proper way to, uh, what is it? Donning. And what's the other word? Doffing. What's the proper way off. to doff your mask. If you're just like a regular civilian. Um, well, if you can imagine, uh, your mask, like everything, when you're wearing your mask, everything on the outside of your mask, just imagine is covered in like, I always think glitter. I don't know why. Maybe we could just use like, 
No, glitter so still. Nice. I, yeah, I was a raver. Glitter. It's cool. There you go. <laughs> I was like, autistic shout out. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, mom. I was at Kim's house. I'm totally sleeping at Kim's house. <laughs> yeah. Just ignore the glitter on my face. Yeah, of course. Um, so if you can imagine like the outside of your mask covered in glitter, then as you're taking off your mask, avoid touching the outside. Try to avoid whatever you can do mm. um, to keep glitter off of your hands, got you know, it, or yeah. off of your fingertips. Makes sense. Um, it might be easiest to kind of grab, you know, if it's ear straps, if it's like the, the ones that loop around the ears mm-hmm. and grab them by the ear loops towards the back of your ears. That's kind of tucked away and hidden mm-hmm. um, so that you can just pull it forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's the ones that tie behind, then obviously that's mm. easy. Um, and then when you're placing your mask, if you're reusing it, then, you know, just avoid touching the, the outside again. Would you want to like spray it with alcohol or, or something like that? The outside of it, if you're going to reuse it? Or- I don't know. I guess so. Personally, I don't. I mean, that sounds like a good idea. I don't know. Um, I'm just like, I've been spraying yeah. rubbing alcohol and I have damn near everything in the in <laughs> <Yeah>. my life. <laughs> <laughs> you live in an extremely sterile environment. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Everything. My hands are like falling off. <laughs> I think that's good because, you know, one thing that you can think about besides the actual science behind what you're doing is your habit and your mindset. So Mm -hmm. if you're going as far as like spraying the outside of your mask, then you're also probably doing a ton of other shit to stay safe. Right. You know, like your mind is there. So you're just, you're, you're in safety zone wherever you go. And that, and creating habits is better than the habits themselves. Mm. Um, You know what? I was just thinking that this morning because I have this like new morning routine that I kind of messed up on for like the last two days, but I've had it for like a month. And I was like, mm-hmm. damn, that shit actually works. <laughs> <laughs> I've been, you know, if you do it for like three weeks, like 21 days, I think my grandma would always say is a magic number. And, um, 21? Tw- yeah, 21 days. My grandma, my Nana Betty, who's 94 now, um, hey. bless her heart, she's in San Diego. She, she, uh, I talked about her on the last podcast with my friend Steve. Uh, she sends text messages. Uh, ladybugs are her favorite. Oh, yeah, emojis. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, she had, huh? That's so tight. Yeah. It's pretty tight. I'm like, oh, that's cute. And then sometimes it's an elephant with a long trunk. But anyway, she had this like, um, in the eighties, she had this, um, success tapes business where she had all these motive she was a motivational speaker and like a therapist and all these things and oh my God. she was super into wellness this is so funny that like i found oh, cool. found that too later in in my um career but anyway she she had her whole thing she was like speaking with like people like deepak chopra and um ram das and like wow. all these oh. yeah like back in the day but yeah deep. i didn't i didn't honestly didn't find any of this out until i went home for christmas this year <laughs> last year wow i know and she gave me a bunch of her tapes she has like she had like 30 different tapes like how to quit smoking how to be a better writer how to have how to have better sex like all <laughs> yeah <laughs> and her voice was like mad soothing and there was like audio it's like it's like all the the self-fulfilling prophecy and all it's like self-hypnosis it's all about like 
creating habits for yourself basically um, yeah. but like believing in them first and then like you believe in the you know self-fulfilling prophecies like you believe something then you know that that becomes real right and then you keep practicing yeah. and it becomes a habit so her whole thing was anything takes 21 days so three weeks um after that then it's you've incorporated it into your your wheelhouse and um it's easier after that amount of time for whatever reason to stick with it um, wow anyway that's a really long story but bars man bars. grandmas always have bars okay so we talked a lot about uh your experience during the pandemic kind of like some of the ways you you take care of yourself and have to take care of yourself i love the um the candle lit uh shower situation that's a vibe <laughs> yeah huge vibe huge vibe <laughs> A vibe maker. Yeah. Um, how are you like are these like kind of mental health discussions happening with your um teams? Like do you guys talk about these things? Um, you know what's really cool about um about not only my team, but um my department and also services that are being offered to all of uh the healthcare systems employees is um, you know, they're providing therapy, a lot of mental health support. Mm. Uh, they're providing like there's this um in our department, um, there's a one of the doctors organized this um this uh meditation oh, cool. uh, like Zoom group that happens like once or twice a day oh, wow. and I know because like my my um reminder goes off on my phone like oh. a lot there's like a lot of meditations going on <laughs> that's amazing yeah it's it's incredible and I think that it's um you know they recognize that there's going to be a degree of of trauma and PTSD experienced by health workers totally. um and they're trying to sort of mitigate that as it's happening um and also get some feedback because in a way, you know, like these are things that we down the line, um, it can affect us. Right. I mean, it's war, wartime. Yeah. It's def- yeah. It's some big time wartime stuff. Um, so I really appreciate that even like on an institutional level, I feel like, um, things are being offered, but it's also up to us to receive and, you know, partake Mm -hmm. in those types of activities. And sometimes I just don't even feel like, you know, for my big meditation, like I, to be honest with you, I, I wish I could say I was that person that wakes up every morning and like peacefully meditates for like an hour. Um, But I just can't yet. (laughs) Yeah, but I can't. Um, What I feel like my meditation has been um, is just, sitting in silence and letting my mind go wherever the fuck it wants to go. Um, Honestly, that's meditation. I guess so. It is. I, I it was like, <laughs> well, actually, okay. I'll just give you some insight. Why I'm saying, why I'm saying that is because I've been doing two meditations a day through Instagram live with Moto yoga, which is like a yoga studio in the city. Um, mm-hmm. And they have people that come on at nine forty five and five forty five and they do ten minute meditations and all they're all different instructors and I've been meditating for at least I don't know three years um but I still feel like I haven't figured out what the fuck meditation is um <laughs> yeah. I, yeah like i it's it's kind of whatever you make it 
And one of the teachers uh, that came on the other day and led the meditation was talking about basically what you just said. She was like, yeah, you know, even if you're just sitting there when all your thoughts are passing by, like, just be the observer. Like, you don't have to be sitting there in silence. You don't have to be like, you know, zend out on a freaking mountaintop, you know, like a monk on a mountaintop. Although you could be (laughs) if you wanted to, but like. It's whatever you make it. Just the fact that you're taking time out for yourself, I think is a good start. Yeah. Um, I guess so. Uh, I think that my favorite place to, to do this so-called meditation that I guess I'm doing now <laughs> is, uh, is when I'm on the train. Um, cause I luckily from Hertz, shout out Hertz. They gave me a free rental car for a month. That's right. Um, but that ended about like two or three weeks ago. So I've been taking the train, which is totally fine. It's like, you know, shout out MTA. They've been cleaning it pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, I One of my favorite places to do that is just on the train with my eyes closed. And when you're on the train, it's, like, it's almost like when you're in the back of a car. Mm. And when you're like, you know, like remember when you're a kid and your parents are driving and you just like, just without a doubt, will always fall asleep. Like oh, yeah. it feels like you're in the womb when you're sort of in this like moving vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's like just one of my favorite places to just not do anything. Totally. It's, it's your commute. It's like yeah. your time. And yeah, conveniently it's my commute to the hospital. Right, right, right. <laughs> It is it is crazy how, you know, if you're used to car life as, you know, being from California, like we're definitely used mm-hmm. to that. And then you move to New York and, you know, you're taking public transit everywhere because it really makes sense to have a car unless you want to leave the city, which is nice, which I'd love to do right yeah. now. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it is weird how it's like everyone is riding through this, you know, aluminum tube through, yeah. <laughs> you know, very, going very fast together um and it's all of our commutes you know it's our time to like we're not really in control you know you're just you're just there for the ride um it is kind of a magical thing i would say about new york too yeah i mean the subway has its moments if you follow subway creatures you'll know um (laughs) have you seen that instagram no i I oh my gosh wait should i though or it's ridiculous it's just like funny just ridiculous subway happenings, you know, like pictures of pigeons with like Tim's on and shit like that. <laughs> and just like people wearing, you know, just the weird people that are in the subway. But, you know, just New York is the place where you can just be yourself. So everyone's just being theirself in the subway, but there's definitely subway creatures. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, it, there's definitely a, a magic about that. So it's, that's, that's cool that you, you find like, your time to meditate in the subway. Most people be like, I can't do that shit. Subway meditation. <laughs> yeah. Man. Yeah. I guess looking forward, what do you see in the like near future? Like what's your, um, what's your outlook? You know, it's, it's really interesting uh, that I'm sort of watching this pandemic uh, from the perspective of a participant in it and uh, a neurotrauma uh, physician assistant in it. Because during the peak of the pandemic, our neurotrauma numbers went down to almost zero. Really? Which means, 
that no one was going outside mm. being fucking drunk and dumb and falling and hitting their heads. Is that the is our is that like the number one reason? <laughs> like a large reason, yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, like a lot of it is like intoxicated falls or or you know vehicle accidents, mm. which also like no one's outside. Just no one is. Everyone is inside and protected. Right. Um, and I would, I'd say like within the last week and a half as sort of the, uh, the weather just suddenly, you know, like on most days, at least it's just, the skies opened up, the sun is out. Everyone has like their summer dresses on mask or no mask that our number of neurotraumas has like, has like shot up almost as sharp as the curve of our pandemic. Mm. Like, um, and it's because everyone is like so eager and, and like out there, you know, and that's like, by all means, like I, I get that and I understand that. And it's just like this observation that I find that's just so, um, it just reflects like what's going on, you know, mm. like we're, I think what everyone should do moving forward is just takes things in moderation. Mm. Um, you know, which I know was hard in a time like this. Um, but you know, moderation, um, like keeping good habits, mm-hmm. uh, with yourself, with your body, with your community. Mm-hmm. Um, and what really is going to determine like our long-term outcome is what, is what we do as a community. Um, it's interesting because not all, you know, obviously this pandemic hit all parts of the globe, but there are still countries out there that like almost were virtually not hit and didn't even have to close down. Wow. Well, thank you. Thank you for all of the information and for sharing your experience and insights and humanity and candlelit showers. Um, <laughs> Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for coming on to Current Mood. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to Current Mood on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and Anchor and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Also, join us on Instagram for some super cool visuals at currentmood.io. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. And if you really feel like reaching out, send a message. Tell us what you are feeling please. Thanks so much.